At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. The federal court system has an electronic filing system called PACER. You may not be familiar with it. It stands for Public Access to Court Electronic Records. PACER is a nifty tool for attorneys to upload filings for cases and for the public to access the filing system. And today at noon... Pacer crashed because shortly after noon Eastern, we got this. All 38 pages of it, including cover sheets and exhibits. The highly anticipated FBI affidavit that supported the government's application to execute a search warrant on Mar-a-Lago. And it's highly unusual that we're getting to see it, even a redacted copy of it, while this investigation is still ongoing. This document, in its completely unredacted form, is what convinced a federal judge in Florida to sign off on the search warrant at Trump's club two and a half weeks ago. More than half of those 38 pages are redacted, either whole or in part. But despite that, we learned quite a bit from it. Here we go. Page one, quote, the government is conducting a criminal investigation concerning the improper removal and storage of classified information in unauthorized spaces, as well as the unlawful concealment or removal of government records. On January 18th, 2022, the National Archives received from the office of former President Donald J. Trump 15 boxes of records. I just want to pause here for a second. Remember, this was a document that was written before the search warrant that was executed on August 8th. So it is sort of stunning to see just how much evidence the government had on hand to support probable cause that even more classified documents remained at Trump's Palm Beach estate. Here's the FBI describing what exactly was in those 15 boxes that were retrieved in January of this year. For those of you at home following, for those of you following at home, we're talking about paragraph 47, page 17. From May 16th through May 18th of 2022, FBI agents conducted a preliminary review of the 15 boxes provided to the National Archives and identified documents with classification markings in 14 of the 15 boxes. A preliminary triage of the documents with classification markings revealed the following approximate numbers. 184 unique documents bearing classification markings including 67 documents marked as confidential, 92 documents marked as secret, and 25 documents marked as top secret. The affidavit notes that documents appearing to contain national defense information were found at Mar-a-Lago. 184 classified documents, including top secret and national defense information, found at the former president's home, roughly 1,000 miles away from the White House, roughly a year after he left office, if you can call what he did leaving office. It's weird. Quote, further, there is probable cause to believe that additional documents that contain classified national defense information currently remain at the premises. And then this, there is also probable cause to believe that evidence of obstruction will be found at the premises, which is pretty striking to see in black and white. The DOJ believed that additional classified documents, including highly sensitive ones, remained at Mar-a-Lago. Note, they were right. And that evidence of obstruction 
could be found down there at the beach club. We also learned that the National Archives went through multiple efforts to retrieve the documents before January of 2022. Quote, on or about May 6, 2021, the National Archives made a request for the missing records and continued to make requests until approximately late December 2021. It's a long time. That's followed by paragraph upon paragraph of redactions. Contrary to what the former president would like you to believe, the government made multiple requests to get those records back. And it took months just to get some of them in January of this year. There did not have to be a search warrant executed at Mar-a-Lago if only the 45th president would have just given the documents back. And by the way, he still won't say why he didn't do that or why he took them in the first place. In addition to the public, publicly filing the FBI affidavit, the Department of Justice also filed a public redacted version of the memo they submitted to the judge to accompany their redactions. And they dropped a bombshell in there. Quote, the materials the government marked for redaction in the attached document must remain sealed to protect the safety and privacy of a significant number of civilian witnesses. The DOJ has a significant number of civilian witnesses. Yes, that's witnesses plural, who aided them in this criminal investigation. Plus, they have 184 classified documents found before the August 8th search warrant at Mar-a-Lago. That search warrant, by the way, resulted in even more documents being seized. And the federal government believed evidence of obstruction would be found at Trump's home, too. And, 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 there is so much to unpack here. So let us turn now to Bradley Moss, a national security attorney who has represented federal officials, members of the military, and defense contractors in security clearance proceedings. Mr. Moss, thanks for joining us tonight. Absolutely have. So let's first talk about this, this line in the memo that accompanied the redacted affidavit about a significant number of civilian witnesses. What does that mean? The, the privacy and the security of these witnesses has been paramount and indeed is cited as one of the main reasons for these heavy redactions. So what is a civilian witness in the context of all of this? Yeah, the way I interpreted that is the FBI has been conducting witnesses of various personnel who work at Mar-a-Lago, people tied to the Trump organization who either staffed him there at Mar-a-Lago or potentially were working at a Trump organization in New York, but those who would have knowledge, understanding of how he was handling these boxes, who had access to the storage room, who, if anyone, had been going through the boxes. Mind you, you know, as we've learned, they found all kinds of random things thrown into these boxes indicating people had already gone into them and thrown stuff in there and taken stuff out. We know that there were records classified, properly classified records found in different parts of Mar-a-Lago in the former president's residence, in his person, his bedroom closet, things like that. So they're trying to get a sense of where all these things uh, came from, how they got there, and what amount of knowledge Trump himself, as well as his lawyers and immediate staff, had and knew about what was going on. That's not only the Espionage Act provision in terms of this unauthorized retention, that's the obstruction provision. And that is why they tried to redact these names and why the judge upheld it, because to reveal that would put those uh, individuals at particular risk of intimidation. I mean, it goes without saying that Trump does not like leaks. I mean, throughout the Trump presidency, there were myriad freakouts in the White House whenever there was information leaked from the White House, no matter how significant that information was or not. I mean, there's a, this is an ongoing investigation, and there's clearly some concern that 
witness intimidation could be at hand or that witnesses could just get scared, chilled, as it is uh, in the parlance of an investigation. Do you think that witnesses who potentially are cooperating with the Department of Justice are satisfied with the security that they've been offered in terms of these redactions? I mean, I I do worry about Trump's uh, temper as it comes to following leakers and, you know, turning over every stone to make sure he gets uh, the goods on anyone who may be talking to the press or to investigators. Yeah, so they, they should certainly be relieved to see just how extensively redacted it was and how little information we have, particularly on the obstruction angle. I was actually looking to see how much information we would learn on obstruction. We actually got very little insight into that from what was unsealed. Both the judge and the FBI have kept all that information under wraps. And that's very important when dealing with Donald Trump. You know, as you mentioned, especially during his presidency, he tried to out the identity of the Ukraine whistleblower who was protected by law who had reported on an issue of public concern about potential criminal activity by the president. There's no doubt that if any of these individuals' names got out, that especially if they're anywhere close to the president, anywhere employed near him, that there would have been retaliation. That's why their names remain under seal. What about the classifications that uh, we learned about uh, on the documents themselves? Um, When you saw the HCS designation and the mention of clandestine human sources, what does that mean to you? Are we talking CIA operatives here? How do we interpret that? Yeah, no, not CIA operatives most like, most likely, but rather human intelligence sources, foreign foreign individuals that we've uh, that the CIA, that any number of intelligence community agencies have recruited, uh, individuals that we've uh, got pro- that are providing information on foreign governments, foreign intelligence services. This is the basic essence of human intelligence. It's not just you know you think of the field operative from CIA going over somewhere. It's the people they recruit, whether they realize it wittingly or not, who provide information. That's the basic crux of human intelligence. We rely on that every day. Our foreign policy decision makers rely on that information when making choices of national security. The fact that it had that kind of marking on these documents, the fact that it indicated SI for signals intelligence, that's intelligence intercepts, that's very sensitive information. That should be nowhere near the beach resort in Mar-a-Lago. I, I, I got to also ask about, we talk about Mar-a-Lago as if that's the end of this. The report suggests that there are other locations that the DOJ is looking at. I mean, do we think that this is an investigation where the DOJ has eyes on Trump's other residences like Bedminster or Trump Tower? So we haven't seen any clear indication of that. I certainly haven't seen anything that makes that uh, very obvious. My understanding, my guess from what we've learned so far is that this was limited to Mar-a-Lago because this is where Trump basically decamped after leaving the White House. He threw everything in boxes, left the White House after the January 6th debacle and being and Joe Biden becoming president and just threw the boxes into the basement at first. Then he spent months slowly going through it and deciding what he was or wasn't going to turn over to the National Archives. I don't see any indication yet that any of these records that are of concern are at any of his other resorts or properties. Uh, You seem pretty final in your judgment about what's going to happen here. I know you have a piece in the Daily Beast uh, today, the headline, it's over, Trump will be indicted. You seem quite certain there. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. And I'll caveat that with it is very much my personal opinion and only my personal opinion, just based off my professional expertise and experience. It's nobody else's opinion. My view is that from the information we've seen, specifically what was made clear in the unsealed redacted part of this affidavit is that we know Trump had was had unauthorized retention and possession of 
national defense information. He was told not once but twice that he was not permitted to retain that at Mar-a-Lago. He continued to possess it despite efforts to recover it. And then finally, when he uh, when the FBI came out there in June, he, he and his lawyers swore there was no other information. He continued to actually have it despite that sworn affidavit. That is not only violation of the Espionage Act, that's Section 793E, but that is also potential obstruction provisions in terms of concealing that from the U.S. government. In my view, that is enough that is sufficient to bring an indictment and certainly enough to get a conviction. Whether or not the government will take that path is ultimately it's in its discretion. I believe it can and should do so. Bradley Moss, national security attorney. Really appreciate your time tonight. Thanks for joining me. Anytime, Alex. Joining us now is Luke Broadwater, a reporter for The New York Times, who has been covering the search at Mar-a-Lago. He has a new piece out tonight. The headline reads, Inside the 20-Month Fight to Get Trump to Return Presidential Material. Luke, thank you for making time to be here with me this evening after deadline. Thanks for having me. Um, the 20-Month Fight. You've done us all a service in sort of putting it all together. I mean, we know that there are various searches and subpoenas and surveillance tapes. But really, when you look at it <laughs> in the 20-month period— it seems impossible to argue that the government didn't make a very strenuous effort to get these records back before executing a search warrant. Right. I mean, if you look at step by step over many months, the statement that Donald Trump made that if the government just wanted these things, they could have had them is really contradicted by the facts. Right. So you have even before he leaves office, the national um, Trump's own aides are aware that he has taken some of these documents that he shouldn't have to his private residence. And they start talking about how to get them back. And then as, after he decamps to Mar-a-Lago, you see the archives reach out not not that long thereafter to say, hey, we're missing some documents here. Where's where's that letter from President Obama? Where's where's the letter? <laughs> where, where are other where's documents? that Kim Jong Un <laughs> right. letter? Yes, we know we know about this stuff and we know we don't have it. Yes. So you must have it. Yes. And so that begins what they say is a series of months of the archives trying and trying and trying to get these documents back. And one thing that was happening is Trump's lawyers were reluctant at this time, based on our reporting, uh, to go through some of these documents because they were concerned that there might be classified information in them and they might not have the appropriate clearances. So they had Trump himself going through them. He's going through these boxes trying to determine what's classified, what's not, what should I give back, what shouldn't Which I? Which seems like maybe not the best strategy, right? I mean, it's by necessity, but it's not entirely clear that Trump is actually doing the sort of Dewey Decimal classification system of the, of the documents that are in the boxes or even really looking through them in any comprehensive fashion. Right. And, and so to make a long story short, it keeps escalating and escalating. And at first, the Justice Department, um, the, the, the archives, it seems to be negotiating with them in what they believe is reasonably good faith. But then things start to change a little bit. They start to get some what they believe are misrepresentations. You know, there's this um, uh, signed statement where Trump, some of Trump's lawyers indicate everything has been returned, all the classified information. And that turns out not to be true. They start to interv interview some uh, personal aides to Donald Trump. They subpoena surveillance tape and they see people removing boxes from the storage area before uh, Justice Department comes to visit. And there becomes sort of a, I would say, a break in, in good faith that, that they believe is going on. And that's when I think you see they feel they have no other choice but, but to, to escalate. go for the search warrant. Yeah. What, what shocks me in reading your timeline is not just the petulance of refusing to hand over the documents, but the brazenness of repeatedly lying 
to the National Archives and the Department of Justice. I mean, here in January, he's like, here's 15 boxes. That's all there is. They come back down in June and he's like, also this 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 mug. That's all that that's it. We're done. And and still, of course, they come back because it isn't all. But he's intent on subterfuge the entire time. Apparently, I mean, it's as if he doesn't truly understand the, the gravity of this, which leads me to ask you a question you probably don't know the answer of. But could could he still have more down at Mar-a-Lago? Because it appears that the only, you know, the only things they know to look for are the things they saw on the surveillance tape from June. Right. They've gotten that stuff, we think, because they were uh, admitted entry into those storage rooms. But in theory, a person who's lied three times to the powers that be could be lying again. Sure. I mean, they did an extensive search, you know, multiple hours there. But could there be something hidden in some nook or cranny that they don't know about? You know, you raised earlier, could there be something at some other property? Given the way that Donald Trump handled classified documents, almost anything is possible. You know, obviously, he was known to, to rip them up. My colleague Maggie Haberman reported that he was uh, allegedly putting some in toilets or flushing them. Yes. So, you know, the, the idea that that this is all there is and they've recovered everything, I think, you know, is still an open question. Let's just talk for a moment about Trump's Trump's reaction, which has been um, to basically throw any sort of criticism back in the face of the DOJ. Do you get the sense that he feels like the walls are closing in at all? Well, I don't know. You know, he um, in some ways, he seems to be relishing this fight. If you if you go based off his truth uh, social uh, posts, you know, he's he's really ramping up the rhetoric. And even after they allegedly put out this statement that they were going to tamper things down, or they told they proffered that to the to the Justice Department. The rhetoric has just gone up and up. I think he may see this as a political winner for him somehow, and that his, you know, the Republicans are rallying around him and he wants to keep keep the tension up here. So, you know, look, you know, most people, I think, would would stick their head in the sand during this and listen to the advice of their attorneys. But that that has not been the way Donald Trump has reacted at all. And we're going to talk with you more about how Republicans are reacting and whether they, indeed they are rallying around him. Um, but I'm going to give you a short break. Luke Broadwater from The New York Times. So stick around. We have more to talk to you about also other investigations swirling around the former president. But up next, the affidavit also says the DOJ had probable cause to think there was evidence of obstruction at Mar-a-Lago. And if so, that is a familiar charge laid against Donald Trump. Former federal prosecutor Barb McQuaid joins us next. And later, new reporting today about a woman who literally talked her way into Mar-a-Lago and how that demonstrates exactly how easy it is to get into that club. We'll be right back. President Trump said that he declassified all these documents. Could he have just declassified them all? Well, I just want to know I've declassified everything in the world. I'm president. I can do it all. Come on. Declassified everything. I'm not going to comment on it because I don't know the detail. I don't even want to know. I'll let the Justice Department take care of it. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. 
Hey everyone, it's MSNBC's Chris Hayes. For the first time since 1892, we have an election in which both candidates have presidential records. It's a chance to take a hard look at what Joe Biden and Donald Trump have actually done as president. On a special Why Is This Happening podcast series called With Pod 2024 The Stakes, I'm talking to experts about the two candidates' records on specific policy areas like immigration, taxes, climate, and more. So you know what's at stake come November. Search for Why Is This Happening and follow. You still have the surveillance tape, is that correct? Will you, are you allowed to share that with the country? Absolutely, Sean, at the right time. After the FBI searched Mar-a-Lago, there was a drumbeat of conservative calls for releasing the tapes. What they meant by that was the surveillance footage of plainclothed FBI agents executing their search warrant at Mar-a-Lago on August 8th. We still do not have that footage. Trump and his people never did release it, at least not yet. There were reportedly concerns in Trump world that releasing that tape might show the sheer volume of materials that federal agents seized. But as of this afternoon, we do have the heavily redacted affidavit for the search warrant used to conduct that August 8th search. And on page two of the affidavit, you see this. The FBI laying out the reason they needed to check Mar-a-Lago after Trump turned over 15 boxes of documents in January. Quote, there is probable cause to believe that additional documents that contain classified national defense information remain at the premises. There is also probable cause to believe that evidence of obstruction will be found at the premises. Evidence of obstruction? What could that be? Well, number one, on June 3rd, after a visit from federal prosecutors, Trump's lawyers Christina Bob and Evan Corcoran said, nothing to see here, folks. There is nothing to see here. Corcoran prepared a statement to the DOJ claiming that all the classified material had been returned, and Christina Bob signed it, according to the New York Times which cited two people familiar with that meeting. And then here's number two. The DOJ, unconvinced by Trump's lawyers, subpoenaed Mar-a-Lago surveillance tapes in late June, not the tape that Eric Trump was talking about. This was a surveillance tape from earlier, one that reportedly shows people moving boxes out of Mar-a-Lago and the storage room around the same time that the DOJ was asking if there were any more important documents down there at Mar-a-Lago. The tapes also reportedly show boxes being stuffed into different containers again around June 3rd, when Trump's lawyers were saying essentially, nothing doing, you have everything already. Of course, today we know that that is not true at all, and it matters. The Times reports, quote, that June 3rd statement, the one from the lawyers, that is, along with visuals from the surveillance camera footage of the property and witness interviews were said to be part of the concerns among investigators about obstruction. Joining us now is Barbara McQuaid, former United States attorney for the Eastern District of Michigan. Barb, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, glad to be with you, Alex. So let's talk about these sort of two elements as it pertains to obstruction. The first is the surveillance footage. How meaningful is that in the potential charge of obstruction? This, this notion that there were people moving material around Mar-a-Lago around the same time that the government was asking, hey, do we have everything down there? 
Yeah, you know, what's interesting about the charge that is identified in the search warrant affidavit, it is, it's a particular type of obstruction of justice. It's 18 U.S.C. section 1519, which specifically refers to concealing of documents. It's not like witness tampering or some of the other kinds of obstruction statutes. It's specifically concealing of documents. And so, uh, as you just described, moving around some of these documents during a time when there has been a great deal of back and forth about what they have and what they don't have and what they need to return does suggest that there could be a suspicion or even probable cause that they are concealing some of the documents that the archives wants back. It's worth noting that the DOJ is seeking the Mar-a-Lago footage again. This time, the footage, I believe it's either after the raid, but it's after that sort of initial tranche of surveillance footage from June 22nd, right? There's like a period of several weeks before the FBI searches Mar-a-Lago. And I believe the DOJ is looking for surveillance footage of that period, mostly the month of July. What does that tell you? Well, it does suggest they, they had to have some reason to know that there was something amiss that they wanted to see might have been revealed on that surveillance video. So what it says to me is perhaps there is a witness within Mar-a-Lago, one or more witnesses, who have indicated to them in witness interviews that people were going in and out of those rooms or moving some of those boxes. It's also noteworthy, Alex, that in the affidavit we saw today, they believe that they had probable cause to search not just the storage room, but also something known as the residential suite. I assume that's where Trump lives. Um, something called the Pine Room and something called the 45 office. And so it looks like from those words that those boxes were removed and scattered around other places in the residence. And so even if they had a padlock on the storage room, there's certainly grave concern about them being stored in other places in the residence. And so it seems like there must have been witnesses providing information so that they could knew to look on this surveillance video. And perhaps it was the surveillance video that revealed some of the things that appeared in that search warrant affidavit. What about the letter signed by Trump's attorney, uh, Christina Bob, drafted by his other attorney, Evan Corcoran, saying effectively nothing to see her, folks. Uh, this was a letter sent to the DOJ in June. How concerning is that when you're looking at an obstruction charge? Well, um, rule number one for aspiring lawyers, if uh, Mr. Corcoran writes the um, the draft, maybe Mr. Corcoran should be the one who <laughs> signs it and not uh, another lawyer, Christina Bob. Um if those lawyers believed that that was true because Donald Trump or someone else told them it was true, then uh, perhaps they don't have any liability. If they knew that they were continuing to retain documents and representing in writing that all documents had been returned, they have a very serious problem of obstruction of justice, as we just discussed. That is a 20-year felony. Now, it could be that they were unwitting agents, that someone told them to make that representation. If that someone is Donald Trump, then he is also liable or it could be liable for using them as unwitting agents to make his own statement. If he knew that that statement was going to be passed on to the Justice Department, then he could be guilty of that offense. The last thing I'll just bring up as we talk about his crackerjack defense team is the fact that today was the deadline, I believe, uh, the, law, the legal team yeah. representing Donald Trump. Today was the last day they had to file their papers um, requesting a special master, a sort of independent third party review of the materials seized um, in early August by the DOJ. And according to the Trump appointed judge, they did it wrong. They did not file that request correctly. Um, do you have confidence in, in Donald Trump's legal representation at this juncture? 
Well, the document they signed, they filed on Monday was uh, so amateurish. Uh, it was in the wrong court. It didn't file a, a, allege a cause of action. Um, it uh, they failed to provide service. They didn't explain why it was uh, unrelated to another case. Uh, and so, no, uh, that is some very shoddy lawyering. But it seems that he's having a difficult time finding someone to represent him uh, who may be able to handle this in a, a more professional manner. The understatement of the year. Barbara McQuaid, former U.S. attorney for the Eastern District of Michigan. Thank you for your time and expertise this evening. Thanks, Alex. Coming up, a jaw-dropping story of an alleged fraudster using a fake identity to get into President Trump's inner circle and into Mar-a-Lago. And signs of big things happening in the January 6th investigation. Mar-a-Lago may have stolen the spotlight for now, but that investigation looks like is making big moves. Stick with us. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. It's Monday night. It's Monday, everyone. We're happy to have you here on this Monday night. Lots of news to get to tonight. Make more of your Mondays on MSNBC with Jen Psaki and Rachel Maddow back to back. If you were talking to a voter, what would you say to them about why this case matters to them? Was this the kind of proceeding you would expect in a typical New York DA's case, or does this really feel different? Inside with Jen Psaki at 8 p.m. Eastern, followed by The Rachel Maddow Show at 9, Mondays on MSNBC. Monday night. What I'm about to show you is a photo of billionaire heiress Anna de Rothschild posing with former President Donald Trump and South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham at President Trump's golf club in Miami, Trump International Golf Club. The day before, a Trump supporter had bought, brought Rothschild as a guest to Trump's other Miami club, Mar-a-Lago. She used her family name and her charm and the prospect of big potential business deals to not only get invited to that day of golfing, but to come back to Mar-a-Lago later that night, where she was invited to dine with Trump world luminaries, including Donald Trump Jr.'s fiance, Kimberly Guilfoyle. It's not exactly the most sensational situation you've ever heard of, right? There's just one problem. There is no Anna de Rothschild. The Pittsburgh Post-Gazette and the Organized Crime and Corruption Reporting Project have done incredible investigative work tracking how this woman, a Ukrainian immigrant named Ina Yashchishin, allegedly pretended to be an heir to the famous Rothschild banking family in order to sneak her way into Trump's inner circle. This reporting has not been independently verified by NBC News, and the woman in question denies all of all of this. She claims she's being framed by a former business associate. But four guests who spoke with the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette say that Ms. Yashishin repeatedly told people at Mar-a-Lago that she was a Rothschild. And according to one of those guests, everyone was eating it up. Obviously, in light of the FBI investigation into the classified and top-secret documents President Trump brought with him to Mar-a-Lago, the idea that anyone with a fake identity had access to this club is concerning. But I think it's really worth underlining 
just how nuts it is that this particular lie worked. I mean, there has been extensive reporting done on the Rothschild family and the heirs to that fortune. They're one of the most famous families in the world. They were the wealthiest family in the world for a large part of the 19th century. And they are the subject of more anti-Semitic conspiracy theories than maybe any other family in the world and have been for basically as long as they've been rich. There are literally conspiracy theorists who think it was the de Rothschilds, not the iceberg, that sunk the Titanic. And those conspiracies are still alive and well. A few years back, Marjorie Taylor Greene implied that it was the Rothschilds' Jewish space lasers. You remember that one? Jewish space lasers that had started one of California's deadliest wildfires. It actually was not. If this woman who lied her way into Mar-a-Lago had pretended to be a part of a fake dynasty, that would be one thing. I mean, okay, it would still be totally bonkers, but this is one of the most Googleable lies imaginable, and somehow it got past the Secret Service. What is even more concerning is that this woman just wasn't some random person using some thinly veiled lie. Both the Miami FBI field office and the Quebec Provincial Police in Canada were actively investigating her business dealings. A charity she led called United Hearts of Mercy was allegedly a fraud and possibly a money laundering operation. Not only did the payment processor for the charity determine that the hundreds of thousands of dollars flowing into that charity were generated from credit card numbers and bank accounts that had not been authorized for use by the owner's account, but the charity's own accountant made a sworn statement to the FBI that the charity was actually a source of illicit funds for organized crime. After a charity drive organized by United Hearts of Mercy, that same accountant began to get calls from people who she suspected were from criminal groups, threatening violence and demanding money. The callers left voice messages from unknown numbers with accents, saying that if she did not return the money, she and her family would be harmed or killed. Pittsburgh Post-Gazette adds that even though the charity was supposed to disclose its revenues to the public because of the amount of funds it took in, it failed to do so. So far, it's not clear where the funds went. So to sum it all up, an alleged fraudster, possibly with links to organized crime, somehow got past the Secret Service and into Mar-a-Lago, where President Trump had squirreled away top secret and classified documents in various unsecured areas. And it wasn't until March, nearly a year after their first encounter, that Trump's entourage discovered this woman's real identity. Everything is fine here, friends. I am sure that she was the only person to pull a trick like this and that no one got anywhere close to anything they shouldn't have. We'll be right back. The explosive events at Mar-a-Lago have overshadowed some of the other investigations which continue to follow Donald Trump. And what we're learning about Trump's alleged mishandling of classified documents down in Florida well, that could prove to be relevant to those other investigations as well, particularly the January 6th committee. Back in January, as the committee was preparing its public hearings, its members were regularly requesting documents from the National Archives about the former president. And a few of those documents arrived with a telltale sign of Trump's total disregard for proper record keeping. As the Washington Post reported at the time, some of the documents sent from the National Archives to the January 6th committee had been torn up and taped together in keeping with Trump's habit of ripping up important documents or otherwise rendering them unusable. Now, we know that troves of records had been stashed away at Trump's home, records that could still be germane to the committee's investigation of the January 6th event. 
And by the way, the January 6th committee is not done investigating Donald Trump, not by a long shot. This week, the committee interviewed former cabinet member and Trump national security advisor Robert O'Brien. According to The New York Times, investigators asked Robert O'Brien about discussions inside the cabinet about whether to invoke the 25th Amendment to remove Mr. Trump from office. The committee has already sat down with three other Trump cabinet members, Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, and Commerce Secretary Elaine Chao. They have also reportedly sought information from Trump Education Secretary Betsy DeVos. Just last week, the committee's chairman, Benny Thompson, told reporters that they have spoken to pretty much every senior person in the cabinet. And for the most part, they have all indicated a willingness to talk to the committee. In other words, we may soon learn a lot more about what Trump's own cabinet was prepared to do to stop their own boss on January 6th. Back with us again is Luke Broadwater, congressional reporter for The New York Times, who has been reporting on the January 6th committee's interviews with Trump cabinet officials. Luke, you've been reporting on everything that we're covering tonight, so thank you for sticking around. The first question I have for you is, do you see an intersection between the documents and the work of the DOJ down at Mar-a-Lago and the January 6th committee? Well, yes. I mean, we do know that, at least in terms of Trump's record keeping, that that hasn't impacted some of the January 6th committee's work. Some of the documents they initially wanted were torn up. We know that Trump's, um, that the shoddy record keeping around on January 6th resulted in a large gap in missing phone calls, where we don't know exactly who Donald Trump was calling or who was calling him. Uh, for about seven hours on January 6th. We don't have the text messages in and around there from the Secret Service. Right, the Secret Service, Homeland Security, Department of Defense all have missing text messages, which is concerning to the January 6th committee. What we don't know is whether these documents that were recovered from Mar-a-Lago are in this latest search were germane to their investigation. We know there are a lot of boxes. There's a lot of classified material. But as of right now, we don't have an indication yet that there's a piece of paper that is a smoking gun for that committee or even relevant to that committee's work. So, um, you know, I talk to the committee regularly. They're very interested in seeing what's in these documents. The Intelligence Committee has asked uh, to review these documents and also to have a a national security assessment done about what kind of security um, threat there was from these highly sensitive documents being at Mar-a-Lago. But we don't know yet whether it's directly related to the January 6th committee's work. We don't know whether there's a printout of a draft of um, fake electors that Trump was going right, to send right. down. Yes, we, we haven't received that information. Where is, what is the committee's focus? We're hearing, uh, you know, uh, overtures about the 25th Amendment. Do you think that that they were, I think, very smart to break up the last series of hearings into sort of these digestible moments in the days leading up to January 6th, the event itself and the aftermath immediately afterwards? The 25th Amendment, that seems to be the next um, shoe to drop, if you will. Can you tell me more about the focus of the committee in these days when nobody's actually been paying that much attention to their work? Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, initially we thought the committee would essentially be done by now. They'd be wrapped up. They'd be preparing their final report. But what they've really done is through August, they've begun a second investigative push. And a lot of the interviews, the people they've brought in, have been those top Trump officials that you highlighted on the screen earlier. And every one of them is being asked about these discussions around the 25th Amendment. 
And what I think the committee is trying to get at here is Trump's unfitness for office should he run again. You heard a lot of different evidence in the earlier hearings, but you didn't see a deep dive into that specific issue about what his own cabinet thought about whether he was fit after the events of January 6th. So they're, they're being asked that question. And one other data point, as they started their hearings, they received 4,000 calls to their tip line. So they have tips pouring in that they've been they've been uh, running down. I mean, they even sent people to to Denmark uh, last week. So to view footage of Roger Stone, a documentary yep. uh, team. Are we expecting more to start happening in September? I mean, there's a real concern about how f- close to the election they continue these hearings. So what's our expectation in terms of timeline for the January 6th? Committee? Yeah. So we've been promised at least one hearing in September. There may well be multiple hearings. Um, we don't know exactly the dates yet or times. We know that this committee can call a hearing at the last minute sometimes. Sometimes they give us good notice. But so we don't know exactly. And I'm, I'm hearing the report they're going to issue has been pushed back some and that they're going to continue to work right up until the end of this Congress. We are excited to see what comes next. Every day brings new news and new information. Luke Broadwater, congressional reporter for The New York Times. Thanks for being with me twice this evening. Thank I appreciate you. it. Up next, the very different tune we are hearing tonight from Republicans who demanded the Justice Department release that affidavit. Stay with us. After the FBI search of Mar-a-Lago, allies of Donald Trump insisted that the action itself was politically motivated. They claimed that if the feds really wanted those documents, all they had to do was ask. House Republican leader Kevin McCarthy was so livid, he threatened to launch an investigation into the DOJ and Attorney General Merrick Garland, at one point arguing, why wouldn't they just ask the president if they had something there that they wanted? He surely would have provided it to them. Why did they have to show up in the manner that they did? Indeed. It turns out that the authorities did ask for access. And now even Fox News viewers are being educated on that specific point. Going back to the New York Post headline in the middle of all of this, you could have just asked. They were asking. How many times? We don't know. But the impression in in the affidavit is that they asked for him multiple times. And President Trump has said several times all they had to do was ask. Well, my sense is they were asking for a year and a half. And why why he was holding on to these materials when he had no legal authority to do so under the Presidential Records Act is beyond me. Again, that is Karl Rove saying the federal government did ask multiple times over a year and a half. So there goes that argument. A small group of fervent Trump supporters have moved on to a new talking point, claiming that there are simply too many redactions in the affidavit and that there is just no transparency. Look at all that black ink. The third ranking Republican in the House, Elise Stefanik, told Fox News, quote, the American people deserve transparency and not an outrageously heavily redacted affidavit to cover up for and politically protect Joe Biden and the FBI for this dangerous and un-American overreach. Who is to say that if we were to learn what was in those redactions, that they'd necessarily be good for Donald Trump? I mean, that is perhaps why the reaction from the overwhelming majority of Republicans has simply been silence. As the New York Times notes, even the most bombastic Republicans, people like Representatives Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert, they were initially focused elsewhere in the hours after the affidavit was released. They were tweeting about things like border invasions. And as the Washington Post points out, even GOP leaders like Congressman Kevin McCarthy and Senator Mitch McConnell 
have gone mum. Neither men has responded to requests for comment tonight from The Washington Post. That does it for us tonight. Rachel will be here on Monday, and I will see you back here on Tuesday.